Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 168, recorded May 31st, 2014. So today is our 94th 90s episode. We're getting up there. Been yes. doing the 90s for Quite a, a while now. Almost triple digits. Yep. We're almost finished with the 90s because we're in 1997 as of these three issues. And we're doing Starfleet Academy by Marvel 4, 5, and 6. Yes. The continuing exploits of this new group of uh, cadets. You know, just a brief general comment. When you first think of, ooh, Starfleet Academy, uh, it might be like, oh, all these clean-cut young people extolling the virtues of the Federation and stuff. Um, the comic is a little bit, uh, has more of an edge than I expected of it. When I, was, when I was thinking, oh, what's Starfleet Academy comic going to be like? Uh, it's got more of an edge than, uh, than I expected. Right, which I like, but it still has some really goofy stuff, which I don't like. So it's, it's yeah. to me, I really like the, that they're really telling a good story, and then other times you're just like, that doesn't make any sense at all. And <laughs> yeah, why, yeah. Well, why'd they go off in that direction? Huh? Yeah. Wait a minute. And another thing, some of the comics, it's at a frenetic pace. I mean, things are happening so fast, it's, like, it's almost like, this, this is almost like sensory overload. Especially in the uh, sixth issue, I thought. Right. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the fifth issue is the one that has... Uh, well, the fifth issue, pacing-wise, is good. You're right, the sixth issue is more. But the fifth issue, to me, was the one that had the... You're telling such a good story, and then you throw in these really non-logical parts that just kind of ruin it. Oh. Yeah, right. Well... But, but yeah. We, yeah. So we'll get to the details as we do the issues. But, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting... But not completely, not completely satisfying series for me so far. Right, I can see that. And how many did you say there are of this Starfleet Academy? Um, like twenty, sixteen, maybe. 16. Uh, nineteen, nineteen, nineteen. Okay. Right. So uh, it'll go up until uh, June of nineteen ninety-eight. Okay. Cool. I was I was sitting there wondering if we were going to not quite finish uh, Marvel when we're still calling this series the nineties, but no, we will. <laughs> okay, okay. Cool. So anything else to say? You want to jump into the issues? Right, let's go ahead and just jump right in. Okay, so I did issue number four, War and Peace, part one. Published date is March 1997. Writer, Chris Cooper. Penciler, Chris Renault. Inker, Andy Lanning. Colors by Kevin Summers. Letterer, Kim Novak. Editor, Bobby Chase. Chief, Bob Harass. The cover shows Pava and Camila in defensive positions on a planet's surface, preparing to deal with an angry Klingon who is charging towards them with a batleth. The scene. The future of Federation Deep Space Nine. Possibly. The station is surrounded by dozens of Klingon ships. 
In the station, Ops is heavily damaged, with wreckage everywhere and dead bodies strewn around like rag dolls. In Ops, four heartless Klingons with guns drawn are looking at the station commander's lifeless body. A familiar Bajoran woman is lifted up by one of the cruel invaders. This huge Klingon flips her lifeless body up into the air and vaporizes her with his disruptor. He says for target practice, but the real motivations are far less practical. One of them notices a motionless Ferengi body in a Starfleet uniform on the floor. Unexpectedly, the Ferengi opens his eyes and starts blasting them and saying he is Major Kira's Avenger. One of the last remaining Klingons turns and shoots Nog, winging him in the arm. The Klingon calls Nog the Scourge's ally and quickly realizes that if the ally is here, then the Scourge must be near. Suddenly, a blonde man with an eye patch in a Starfleet uniform leaps down on the Klingon and gauges him in hand-to-hand combat. He is able to point the Klingon's own disruptor at the animal's head, then says, One more target practice. Then he pulls the trigger. Decker helps the wounded Frangie to his feet. As the two make their way into a crawl space, they mention to Prill and insinuates she is dead. Safe for the time in a crawl space that Nogs know all too well from his childhood, we get confirmation that most of the inhabitants of Deep Space Nine, along with Nog's parents, are dead. Also, that Starfleet is spread too thin and losing the war that started three years ago. It was their freshman year at Starfleet Academy. After their exemplary actions opposing the treachery of Red Squad, Omega Squadron is awarded their flight privileges one month early. Commander Zund took them out on their first non-simulated flights in a runabout capable of Warp 6. They all try to be first at the controls, but wisely Commander Zund takes them up off Earth and into space. Then Camila is given the honor of taking the runabout up to warp speed to an uninhabited planet the commander thinks they can stay out of trouble on while they get the hang of flying. Camila takes them out of warp when they arrive at the uninhabited planet. The rest of Omega Squad play a prank on the first-time pilot and transport Camila down to the planet one meter above a body of water. They bring her back up soaked and angry. At first, she wants a phaser set to kill for the lot of them, then settles for a hairdryer. Pava sees something out of the corner of her eye through the forward window. She thinks she must be mistaken. Can't be. Not this deep in Federation space. Scene cuts to a small Klingon ship under cloak. It's crewed by the Klingon equivalents of Omega Squad called the First Cadre. They are not all agreed on their current self-assigned mission deep into Federation space. The leader, named Merg, wants to attack the Federation ship and its crew all for glory, while Kovald is against it. They are supposed to be on a training flight, not infiltrating Federation space, preparing to attack Starfleet personnel. There is a ceasefire in effect between the Klingon Empire and the Federation. Merg has his way, but concedes that they will hold off their attack until they are sure soldiers populate that small Federation ship, 
rather than defenseless scientists. A third Klingon, this one female, demonstrates that she is hot for Kovald as Merg leaves the room. Scene cuts to a different future for Deep Space. The scene cuts to a different future for Deep Space Nine, possibly. Commander Goldstein is practicing a speech on the station when Pava knocks at the door and enters wearing civilian clothes. They have not seen each other for a while. Pava is married and appears out of Starfleet. Camila is an important commander who is about to give the most important speech of her career all about cementing the peaceful relationship between the Federation and Klingon Empire, which they have forged over many difficult years. Camila's little girl, Fatima, runs into the room to give Aunt Pava a big hug and a tug on her antennae. She says her mommy is going to an important signing today with the Klingons. She bets that when the Klingons first met her mommy, they liked her right away. Camila and Pava look at each other and think back on the first time they both met Klingons. Scene shifts to the runabout. Pava is warning them they have to raise shields now. Klingon, bird of prey, on their stern, decloaking. The Klingons fire on the runabout, which takes a direct hit on her port nacelle. Commander Zun prepares to get them out of there pronto, but the Klingon disruptor hit triggers an electrical discharge through the pilot's council that knocks Zun back away from the controls. On the Klingon bird of prey, Kovald enters the bridge screaming at Merg that he never waited for the transmission or anything to prove whether soldiers are on the ship or not. Merg simply says, I changed my mind. He tells Kovald they will be boarding that ship, and Kovald will be there with the boarding party. Back on the runabout, Omega Squad runs over the damage report. They aren't going anywhere. They have no weapons. Pava reports the shields will not hold long, and when they come down, the Klingons will board the runabout. When Nog asks how she knows so much about Klingon behavior, Pava explains she spent some time as an exchange student in the Empire. She picked up a thing or two while there. Camila asks how many Klingons will be left behind in the Bird of Prey. Pava says only two or three. Most of the crew will be committed to the boarding party. Camila pulls a trick out of Captain Kirk's playbook and proposes that they all transport over to the Klingon ship as soon as the Klingons transport to the crippled runabout. Decker loves the plan. They will end up on the fully functional, if old, bird of prey, while most of the Klingons will be stuck on the dead duck runabout. As the two teams are trading places via transporter beams, Pava's eyes meet the eyes of Kovald. Merg realizes what has happened and calls back to his transporter operator to beam them back now. Too late as Pava stuns the operator on the bird of prey. They run to the bridge to take out the only other Klingon their tricorders can pick up. On the bridge, and seeing he is outnumbered, the Klingon fires his disruptor into the ship's main control panel and electrocutes himself. Looking at the ruined control panel, Pava states she can't fly this thing. Both ships are quickly heading into the planet's atmosphere and heating up. Humanoid apes in a tree look on as two streaks of light head towards the surface. 
Only one of the two Klingons survived, and Commander Zun is in bad shape on the Klingon ship. Zund is going to die if she does not get some treatment. So they figure the Klingons that survived the runabout's crash will head after them. So they complete their distress calls to Starfleet and head out on foot away from the bird of prey, and hopefully to shelter. Later that night, most of the Klingons are sleeping while Kovald stands watch. He hears something and turns to meet Pava's attack. After some deadly-looking knife work and hand-to-hand combat, they talk. The talk between two deadly opponents turns into the talk of two lovers. As she gives the lug a passionate kiss, Pava tells Kovald she fears for the future. Kovald asks, The future? There is no future. There is only us. Only here. Only now. Let the Major Suckface session commence. To be continued. Did you say Major Suckfest or Suckface? Suckface session. Good. Major Suckface session. Yes. Just wanted to make sure because... Because I didn't necessarily think this was a bad issue. <laughs> I Actually, I made it nicer. I mean, suck face is one thing. What they actually end up doing is a little bit more than that. Spoilers! <laughs> I really don't think I'm, I'm spoiling anything. So, uh, the little tagline at the end of the issue, not to be continued, it says, The Tragic Answer in 30 Days. A little foreshadowing, maybe? Right. Maybe this relationship's not going anywhere? Uh... Yes. Yes. All I can say is the next issue is complicated. I do like how in this issue and in the next issue we see two different futures. One bright and cheery and one all doom and gloom. Yes. I do. I like that. I mean, talk about foreshadowing. Right. And it's doing it in two possible, two potential futures. But what will be the pivot point that says which future ends up happening? Hmm. Right. I'm really rooting for the uh, the one that little Fatima is uh, pulling on Pava's ears. Exactly. Because that's, that's a cute, cute yeah. uh, future. That is a cute future. However, let me also say that in a world of infinite possibilities, maybe there's more than just two possible futures. Right. Well... Spoilers! Because we have lived to see what happens ten years after this issue... Um, I know that neither one of these is true because they're not wearing the right uniforms. Uh, oh, Mr. Smarty Pants. <laughs> well, and I thought I was ruining things. Go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's just, you know, because you have seen what happens in the future because we're reading these, you know, 20 years after they came out. Um, right. It is fun to kind of nitpick some of the quote-unquote future stuff because they, they had different uniforms. They should right. be wearing the gray and the black. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I like this issue. I think I like this issue the best, but let's go through the next one before I make a final judgment on that. And the sixth issue, I like the least, but... Uh, spoiler. I know. Well, I'm, I'm just letting you know ahead of time. You're really setting the bar low for that sixth <laughs> well, issue. Well, sorry. In regards to the, uh, the first possible future, the, where the Klingons have taken over Deep Space Nine and killed everybody, mm-hmm. if it is ten years in the future, did you not think it was a little weird that it seems that Nog and... I mean, is Nog and Decker still wearing cadet uniforms, or are they wearing uh, normal sp- well, they, starship attire? They should be. They should be wearing normal Starfleet attire. That's what they should be doing. Right. But are they? Yeah. 
I think so, yeah. So there's more of a Decker's shirt has more of a like like a plunging thing in the front, so you can see the uh, turtleneck. I think. Okay. I think so, but but you know, quite frankly, the color's kind of off. Everything's right. kind of like a red tint, so it's kind of hard to see in that uh, Deep Space Nine ops battle. Right. Yeah, I just thought they were still wearing their cadet uniforms. Well, his com badge is a uh, looks like a Voyager one. Right, but that's the one he normally wears. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Right. Aside from the the plunging uh, neckline thing, uh, it looks exactly like his cadet uniform. Which yeah. I thought the cadet uniforms had, you know, reversed color, so it doesn't quite. Well, the ca- the cadet uniforms are red on top, and then the rest of the things kind of like a charcoal black or a black. Right. And the 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 break in the collar is really only in the collar. It doesn't come down any further. Right. Because I'm looking at the cover of issue uh, five. And you never really get a good glimpse of how many pips he has, so maybe he is wearing a standard Federation uniform and not, no longer has the, uh, the pips. But it right. just looks like his, his old costume. Yeah. So he either doesn't make it very long in Starfleet or make it very far up the ranks. Right. Yeah, and it, okay, th- all good points. Something that was kind of bugging me, and, and quite frankly, I'm not going to profess to be an absolute, to have perfect knowledge, absolute perfect knowledge of everything that's going on in every period of Starfleet theoretical history. But I thought this time period, we were, we were allies with the Klingons. That's well, what I thought. There was the season of Deep Space Nine where there was a, a very small war between the Federation and the Klingons. Okay, and that's when they that must that was, be playing off of here. Right, and that was when Worf came over to Deep Space Nine, right. things like that. Okay. It, it, it soon, that, that was kind of resolved fairly quick in one season, and then it was all about the Dominion. Right. Well, they've definitely taken advantage of that small period of time, because it is a small period of time. We were making overtures, or beginning, have the beginnings of making overtures of the Klingons uh, back in Star Trek VI, the movie, the sixth movie. Right. So, you know, by the time our general time period of next-gen comes along, you know, we're, we're more or less buddies, except for little anomalous times like this. Right. Well, buddies, but there's still that tension there. Sure. Okay, well. Yep. But no, it depends upon who ends up being in charge of uh, the Empire, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, Ron seemed pretty pretty cool with it. Yeah, he was pretty cool with us. Got Except Ron. for that one season. Yeah. Where he got really pissed off at us. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> cool. I-, I thought the runabout looked really cool uh, the first time you see it, where the, uh, the team's in front of it at the beginning of issue uh, four. Okay. Yeah. So it, lo- it just looks really big. Uh, compared to them in front of it, and uh, I think it's a, a nice drawing. I kind of liked the way the runabout looked like on the uh, two pages after that, where it was in warp, and right. it kind of looked it reminded me of like Star Trek the motion picture warp. I mean, it doesn't show like the rainbow effect, but uh, more of an effect that we see than than we see in Next Generation warp speed. Right. It looks like they're in some kind of a Blue, almost traveling through water, quite frankly. I mean, given the color of the uh, the background. It does look uh, pretty cool. 
they're all kind of distorted behind them, so it almost looks like the uh, the runabout kind of continues to be, or the the echo of it continues to be behind them. It, yeah, it looks nice. So what did you think of the prank? I thought the prank was great. A little <laughs> elaborate, but great. Do you really buy that Goldstein can't swim? I thought that was a little cheesy. Well, I think that was more than they needed to do. Right. But whatever. I mean, they're, they're going to beam her up re- right away anyway, so any way you look at it, she's fine. <laughs> I did think it was funny, and it, I wasn't expecting it to be a, a joke. No. I really thought, oh, this has something to do with the Klingons, cause, you know, or, or, you know, whatever the... At this time, we didn't know about the Klingons, did we? So, you know, I, I just assumed this was going to be the plot of the story. You know, this is oh, how the Klingons and the, and the Federation were going to get into conflict like the cover had. But oh, okay. It was just a joke. Yeah. Just a little prank. A fine prank. Yeah, so I really don't get this this first cadre, guys. It's like they're, they are just over the top. Uh, I mean, yeah. coming this Morg. far. Mor- Morg. Mur- Murg. I mean, he comes that far into Federation space looking to pick a fight. Really? It's like, geez, this guy's right. a nut. And he's like Zund, right? He's just these are just trainees that he's with. So he's well, taking okay. it upon himself to come this far into Federation territory and attack. And he's just a uh, you know just taking the trainees out for a little spin. Okay, and I didn't get that. I thought Merg was one of the uh, first cadre. I didn't. I didn't get that he was like uh, an actual leader. I mean, like, like Zund is a commander. Right. She's a commander. So I wasn't expecting. I I thought Merg was just one of the uh, the first cadre, as opposed to being uh, an official soldier. Mm, I thought he was an official soldier, but I don't. Okay. I, I don't. I don't have anything that backs that up. Yeah. They and they don't. Yeah. I don't think there is anything that backs that up. But it doesn't say that isn't the case either. So. Right. Good point. Anyway, so, but even still, if it if it's just uh if they're all students, then they really have no business being out there. Yeah, I completely agree. It's just, it's a little it seems it seems a little hard to accept that they would go that far afield just for glory. So when I first saw the two star-crossed lovers uh, trading ships through a transporter beam and their eyes met. I thought it was going to be some kind of uh, oh love at first sight kind of thing. I didn't even realize that they knew each other. And of course, at that point in the book, you wouldn't have known that. But I just assumed it was some kind of lame love at first sight thing. Right. When I found out later that they actually have a relationship in the past, that makes so much more sense. Right. And it was a nice little you know they set that up as a possibility. You know, not not the lover thing, but. I mean, they already set the groundwork that she used to be with the Klingons before she came as an exchange student to Starfleet. So I thought it was a really good payoff to just some throwaway lines in the earlier issues. Right. You know, that she does have this whole backstory before we ever met her. Yes. Which I really liked. I thought that was well done. And very handy. Because as we'll see in the coming issues, that relationship is really important. Right. Well, we saw at the end with them sucking face, as you said. Well, I know, but... It's more important than that. Right. Things really hinge on that relationship. The future, even. Maybe the whole future. Maybe the entire future. 
Anyway, so I think it's kind of cool. You know, I got to say, I don't remember the Andorians being promoted as such incredibly strong uh, race, such an incredibly strong race. Um, Definitely in Taz, I don't think they said that much about Andorians. I mean, they popped up every once in a while. And in fact, one tried to assassinate Kirk. Um, Was that uh, Babylon? Uh, Uh, Journey to Babylon? Journey to Babylon, wasn't that the one? Uh, I think it's just Babylon, not Babylon. Or is it Babylon? I don't know. No, Journey to Babel. Journey to Babel. Right, right. Journey to Babel. Anyway, so in that one, Kirk is able to get stabbed in the back by an Andorian and kick the Andorian's ass before he finally succumbs to his wounds. So, at least in Taz, I, I, don't, I don't know that the Andorians were put up as these super strong uh, warrior types. But I think they were promoted as more warrior types in um, Enterprise. Enterprise, yeah. So, yeah, yeah she, she fits the model that we saw in Enterprise. Right. Which is kind of weird since this came out way before Enterprise. Yeah. So, you know, so I guess they I guess they said, hey, we need a character kind of like Worf, but let's not make him a Klingon again. Okay, Andorian. Pick, okay, there you go, Andorian. I just right. don't remember them being so super strong and super warlike. But Right. And it is, uh, you know, she's obviously a, a very large woman, very tall, very muscular. Right. And then in Enterprise, you know, the uh, Jeffrey Combs plays the main Andorian. Right. I forget his name, but you know he's he's a fairly shorter type guy. Right. And then his like first lieutenant was a female, and she was quite a bit taller than him. So it's kind of like if you just take those two instances, you might think that you know maybe the women Andorians are bigger, are naturally taller than their male counterparts. Right. So uh, again, it's just it's interesting how this book, you know, uh, feeds into what comes much later in Enterprise. Yeah. Cool. It's kind of cool. So that could have been a point to differentiate the Andorians from other races. The fact that physically the women are bigger and stronger. Right. So if I was stuck with wounded people on that planet, I might consider just locking the bird of prey and just staying there. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than heading off into the woods uh, of uh, of a relatively unknown planet. And maybe there were Starfleet surveys of the place so they know that the jungle is okay but uh i'd at least consider just closing the door locking the door of the bird of prey but right and and remind me is the bird of prey completely inoperative does the well it crashed that were well Well, i you know i i thought i thought they had been able to contact uh starfleet or at least send out an sos or did they do that from the runabout i i don't remember but but still i mean you would think I, I'm, I'm supporting your theory. You should stay in there, shut the doors, you know, use little turrets or phasers or whatever that the ship has oh, for, uh, defense and just wait it out. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you 100%. I had the same comment. Yeah, but maybe it's just more action-packed to uh, go out in the open where you can be attacked. Perfect. Well, plus, you need you need Pava and Kadav or whatever his name is to Cobalt. Cobalt to get close. Yeah, exactly. Get closer. There you go. Two emotional, lusting individuals. And that's all I have to say about this one. Uh, The only thing I have to say, and it has nothing to do with um, the book itself, Mm -hmm. but reading the letters page 
Yes. Someone does mention that the Vulcan slash Romulan, whatever she is, and Camilla look way too much alike. Oh, yeah. And then the the comments were, well, hopefully you notice that, you know, uh, Camilla has like two feet extra hair. You know, I'm like, yeah, okay. That that shouldn't be the only distinguishing well, oh, uh, feature between the two people. Well, the, yeah, so you need to see that, and you need to see... The ears. T- to Priel's ears. Right. And that's about it. Other than that, they are pretty identical. We're not the only ones that had that comment. No, not at all. And it may not be an issue that much longer. You never know. <gasps> oh! Well, yeah, one is a Romulan spy, so... Exactly. That has to come to a head sooner or later. Yes, but it doesn't seem to be uh, a top priority now. I do like how they keep bringing that up. You know, in both possible futures, they uh, they talked about, oh, well, don't even get me started on... Um, Tapriel. The backstory of Tapriel. Or know, what so. ultimately... Yeah, what ultimately happened to her. You know right. something happened to her. And you would think that would have played out by that point. Right. You know, and and the, obviously projected did, futures. Right. which is why I liked it. I liked how they, they're keeping it in your mind, r- reminding you that there's something off with her. Right. Uh, but they're not telling you what it is, even when they're in the future. Yeah. It was good. I liked it. Yeah. I do have one more. Oh, yes. I have one more uh, comment there. Hmm? Yes. And I almost stopped you while you were doing your synopsis, but, you know. Oh, okay. I thought better of it. The writing staff. Yes. Did you notice the joke, or did you understand why they did the joke? Oh, wait, uh, they changed all the names just because the two Chris. guys' name is Chris? Yeah, so the first two people so the writer the... named Chris. Yeah. And then all the rest of them, they just said, Chris Andy Lanning, yeah. Chris Jim Novak. Yeah, yeah, and I, I found that to be not overly funny and not really relevant, so I didn't even acknowledge it. <laughs> I, I only referenced it because it, I thought it was really kind of silly. Yeah, well, okay, so right, so Chris Cooper is the writer, Chris Renault is the penciler, and they continued that Chris thing with everybody else. Uh, until finally the chief, Bob Harass, puts the whole thing to, puts an end to the whole thing, is that what it said? It says, Bob, enough already. There you go. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so a cute little joke, but I just didn't think it was, uh, it's cute. You know, it's a throwaway kind of little thing in the credits, but right. I didn't feel like mentioning it okay. but good to mention it well then i'll jump into issue number five then you ready i'm ready all right so this came out april of 1997 uh, it is entitled love and death uh, all the writing staff is the same except they don't have the chris's in front of all their name system so the cover shows decker holding the lifeless form of camilla in his arms and he's screaming up into the sky and then the caption reads Love, betrayal, and death. So the story starts off ten years in the possible future. This is the happy future where Pava is being embraced by her husband, Kovald, her Klingon lover for all these years. Uh, Their aggressive kissing becomes a little too much, and Camilla points out that her young daughter is still in the room. Kovald shows that he has a soft spot for the young human and pretends to chase her around, wanting a little human snack. Young Fatima squeals in delight. Camilla is very nervous about the upcoming speech that will unite the Federation and Klingons in a lasting peace. Kovald takes her mind off of it and entertains young Fatima with the story of the first meeting between Omega Squad and his group, First Cadre. 
So we flash back to the planet where both teams had crashed 10 years ago. Pava had met with Kovald, and the two of them spent the night enjoying each other instead of Kovald watching over his sleeping companions. Unbeknownst to him, the female Klingon, Be'esa'al, has been watching the two. Maybe all night. We don't know how long she's been watching. She makes a vow to herself to get vengeance on the Andorian for what she sees as her stealing a man she has the hots for. She brushes off, and Kovald thinks that he hears something. Before he can go investigate the noise, Pava hugs her lover once again, but this time she does so so that she can steal his disruptor, and then she runs away. Back at the Omega Squad camp, Nog arrives with all the disruptors that he stole from the sleeping Klingons. Pava turned out to be very adept at distracting the guard. We are reminded of the seriousness of the situation. Commander Zund is unconscious, and the cadets need to get her to medical attention within the next 20.5 hours. Also, we are reminded that they still have one Klingon captive who survived the crash. Pava soon arrives and states that she feels dirty for the trick she played against her former lover. At the Klingon camp, Merg is enraged that all the disruptors were stolen. He takes out his frustrations on Kovald for his inept guard duty. He is about to kill the young Klingon when Be'esa'al intercedes and states that she and Kovald had spent the night together, and that is why he was distracted. If Merg is going to kill Kovald, then he will have to kill her as well. Merg cannot lose any more people, so he lets them both off the hook. He orders them all to gather their batleths and prepare to strike at the Federation cadets. We flash forward again to a possible future ten years from now. Nog and Decker are fighting to the death on Deep Space Nine against the invading Klingons. Nog is hurt badly, but he's able to guide Decker to an air duct and they make their way to the infirmary. Once there, they find Bashir dead at his desk. Nog is put on an examination table, and he asks his friend to tell him of the first fight between the Klingons all those years ago. Flashback to the planet, and at the Omega team's camp, they are trying to interrogate the captured Klingon pilot, but he is able to kill himself with a micro-dagger hidden under his tongue. Suddenly, the other Klingons attack. The team discovers that the disruptors they stole were already disabled, since Besa'al suspected the ploy and modified them all before Nog stole them. The fight is heavy, but the cadets are holding their own. Pava fears that they will not be able to stand a chance for much longer. She then calls an end to the conflict by declaring an ancient Klingon tradition of personal combat. Each of the sides will pick a champion, and the winner of the hand-to-hand -hand combat will take all. The Klingons choose Kovald, and Camila volunteers herself to prevent Pava from having to fight her lover. The fight between the two of them is fierce, but Camila actually beats the Klingon. She refuses to kill him, however, and then gives a speech about how th at this moment is the beginning of a Federation and Klingon peace. She makes the mistake and she turns her back against Kovald, 
and then he stabs her through the chest and abdomen with a batleth. Deckard tried to stop Koval at the last minute, but Merg had spit a micro dagger that was also under his tongue, and it pierces through the young man's eye. As Camilla's life spills out on the forest floor, so does the possible future where Pava and Kovald were playing with young Fatima. This future fades away along with Camilla bringing peace to the warring people. In victory, the Klingons leave the cadets to grieve over their losses. We flash forward days later at the academy. Zund is well and she is in contact with a high-ranking Klingon. He tells her that the first cadre has been officially reprimanded, though many in the Empire praise them for their attack. Zund fears that this is only the beginning of a bloody all-out war. The end. Heroes. The first cadre. They attack like cowards. A defenseless ship. And in the end, their biggest warrior ends up killing a woman. A human woman. Heroes. A defenseless woman. Well, her back was turned. Right. Yeah, he stabbed her in the back. That's not... Well... He stabbed her in the front, but he came at her from the back, and she had already dropped her weapon. So you're right. But she, he, Koval did kill, you know, stab her in the abdomen from the front. Yeah, only because Decker gave her a little bit of warning to turn around. But yeah, if well, if, she, if he didn't, she would have taken it. <clears throat> right. Well, yeah, it's like I don't see any honor in what happened. Not a bit. But whatever. Uh, the the story needs there to be some heroic thing, at least from the Klingon's eyes. So that's fine, but I, I, I don't see it at all. Uh, I agree. I also, the, also, the whole idea that the Kovald, a big, beefy Klingon in his prime, is going to be beaten with batliths by a skinny little human? Female? Oh, God, come on! <laughs> I'm sorry. And that's a fair and fair... That, that was a fair fight. I mean, there was no extra stuff going on. It was Camila versus Kovald, and she beat him. Right. Well, Pava so. does give him give her a little advice. Oh, oh wow! Yes. Yeah, so was the advice. Um, uh, you can. He's be- gonna. He's gonna come at you. You know, head on. And what? What did she tell her to try to leverage? You can turn his attack against him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great. I'm assuming there's more because there's the dot dot dot, and maybe we just not privy to. Didn't the, hear the rest. The of rest it. of it. Right. Well, um, I think if you are on Deep Space Nine and a sparring partner of Worf, you know, maybe you'll have enough experience with a Batleth to be uh, to be a bad butt like Jedsia was. But I'm not buying it. No, whatever. <laughs> I think she just it looked like how she won is he lunged at her. She kind of dodged to the side and grabbed his Batleth instead of holding her own and then yeah. was able to get on top of him and have it pointed to his neck. Yeah, that, think, that looked to be the only move that gave her yeah. any type of uh, leverage. It, it's the old jujitsu thing, using your opponent's bulk against him by by getting him off balance. So, bravo! I still don't think Koval's likely to be uh, taken in by that, but whatever, that's fine. Uh, yeah. So, so, so exactly how did the first cadre get off of that uninhabited world, Deepin? Federation space? Maybe they sent an SOS too, I don't know. Yeah. Well, well e- yeah. E- either either they got a ride from Starfleet, which I 
would think is unlikely. Or the other thing that I think is unlikely is they sent another ship deep into Federation space. So, uh, yeah. I think it's just one of those, uh, those dangling threads that they didn't want to deal with because it would have been awkward. They want to move the story along. But I just don't see how they're going to get off of the planet so easily. Right. Yeah, and to just walk away. We win. Right. Walk off. Exactly. No, it doesn't make sense. And that was one of the parts I had. This, this, uh, this issue, very dramatic. I mean, you have this future. You have two futures. One, very bad. Everybody you know and love is dead. Right. Or dying. Yeah. And then the other future, all happy. You're introduced to a little, little girl, Fatima. It's, it's the future you want. And then to find out that you know, all this pivoted on Camila you know, either uniting the, the Klingons at that moment or dying as she did. And to see that, that the happy future kind of fade away it was, to me, very emotional. I, I liked it. And well, then they ruin it, though. You well, how'd they ruin it? One, the, like you said, the uh, the Klingons just make it home without any type of repercussions. Oh, with that kind of stuff, right. And then the other thing is the micro-dagger in my tongue that I oh, god, I hate and, that and stab somebody in the eye. You know, yeah. They're not even standing next to each other there. You, you, it would be hard to spit on somebody any that far away, <laughs> let alone hit them in the eyeball. Oh, that, that micro-dagger thing was BS, but oh, whatever. I hated it. And, and I, I hated me, that. that that kind of stuff just... It took me out of the book, where this could have been in a very emotional book, and then they just like, eh, we're going to throw in all this really stuff that doesn't make sense, and yeah. it's actually kind of silly. Yeah. And, and well, I'm supposed to eat it both? You know, I can't. I can't. Yeah, well, and, and here's more stuff that makes the whole thing hard to take, because it's so stupid. It's like, when they're being attacked by the Klingons, why were they using the disruptors? I mean, they had their phasers, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you're trained with phasers, I mean, you're accurate with phasers. How often do you deal with a with a disruptor? Almost never. So why would you use the disruptors? Doesn't make any sense. And Fatima did have, or not Fatima, uh, Camilla had a disruptor that worked. Exactly. She doesn't shoot it until way into until the it's too late. And then the and then uh, what Berg was able to take her phaser. It's like you're going to expect me to believe that. Well, okay, it, it's what you want to happen in the story, so you're making it work. But I don't buy it. And they have complete run of the bird of the prey. They could have found other phasers, other batlets, or whatever. Well, yeah, but Which why? Do, I, why do they need it? They put perfectly functional phasers. They're just not using them. And why did did the did the Klingons have the batlets when they beamed over to the, the shuttle last issue? I, I guess they must have. I mean, wouldn't if you're going to be you know for the glory of the empire, wouldn't you go with batlets and you know and disruptors? But yeah, so are you, are you actually jumping back and looking? They do not have batlets when they beam over. Aha! So they just pull these... They just make them. <laughs> from the yeah, planet. Cause, yeah. Because they're definitely not in the Federation shuttle. <laughs> well, no, exactly. Okay, fine. So the, another thing that's, that's kind of hard to believe if you actually think a little bit about what's going on. Um, another thing is that whole thing where Nog sneaks in and steals the disruptors. It's like... Okay, Frankies are sneaky, they're small, they're light of foot. Okay, I can understand that to some degree, but these are Klingons. And they're, they've got to be on high alert. I mean, they're on this, this life and death mission of right. their own making. They're really going to sleep through all that? I don't buy that. And then, 
uh, the female Klingon is able to be, have the foresight to get to all of her compadre's weapons, disable them, and put them back, and they don't wake up for that either. It's like, ah, <laughs> no, it, this is just so unlikely. And then she doesn't tell Merg or anybody else that she did this to the phasers when... Disruptors. Even, or yeah, the disruptors, even after Nog came around and stole them. Yeah. So it's still, I mean... Now, yeah. now, mind you, if she actually told the other Klingons about what was going on and that she was disabling the disruptors, that would ha- so they, they played like they were sleeping, that would make more sense than what I think they were presenting. Right. That two different sets of people are able to grab the disruptors out of all, you know, of all their holsters, do something with them, and either steal them or modify them and put them back. It's like, nah, I'm, I'm not buying that. Right. And, and, and if she did tell Merg, then she would have to tell him that, okay, I wasn't really with Kovald. He was really with the blue girl. Yeah. And then, she, then he would have gotten killed there because, you know, he, the only reason why Merg didn't kill him to begin with is because he didn't want to kill two people. Yep. Which yep. also didn't make sense. I mean. Yeah. If you're really bloodthirsty that you need to kill somebody, I don't see why you would stop at one. Yeah. Aside from he doesn't have a lot of people to begin with. Yeah, there was a lot of fuzzy logic there. Right. And the fact that she said that she was with him just to keep him alive when she was wanting him to die anyways because she felt betrayed by Pava. I mean, she was the one that kind of volunteered him. Or no, no, Merg, Merg volunteered him to do the hand-to-hand combat, right? Mm, I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why it ended up being him is a good question. It just, it just adds to the drama, but really doesn't have much reason, much logic behind it. Nope. I mean, I thought where they were going, it was going to be the female Klingon and the female human. I mean, that's a fairer fight. That's where I thought they were going to go. And especially since the female Klingon has a bone to pick with the humans. Well, okay, with Pava. With Pava. I thought it was going to be Pava. It, I thought it was going to be Pava and the Klingon, which made a lot more sense. Why Camila goes, oh, I'm, I'm in command and I say nobody else fights but me. It's like, what? That didn't make sense. Uh, whatever. Well, that's right. I forgot she was in command. But she said the reason why she did it is because she didn't want Papa to have to kill her lover. Yeah, well, why was it... Shouldn't have been him anyway. Whatever. I agreed. Yeah, if, I mean, if if the way I was reading it where Murray was older and more experienced, why wouldn't he take it upon himself to be to do it? Yeah, he's the commander. I mean, the he's commander. obviously the leader. Right. So how about the two commanders doing it? That would make more sense. That would make more sense. Anyway. Anyway. Just jumping around, I, I thought it was interesting in the bad future where Decker was talking about flooding DS9 with neurocene gas, which is deadly. It was like, wait a minute. At first I was going, a Federation station is not going to have, there's going to have knockout gas, not deadly gas. Um, but then I thought, oh, it's a former Cardassian station, so is it supposed to be leftovers from... You know, it's Cardassian operated days. Well, you can replicate anything, so I don't think they just have this on hand. I think they just replicate it whenever they at need. I think that's stretching it. 
Yes, they can replicate anything they want, but replicating things and then getting it fed into all of the um, all the ducts, you know, to, to pump that through life support everywhere, I think that's a bit of a jump. Right. It makes a lot more sense to have knockout gas at the ready, which is what I always thought was going on back in uh, Taz days, that if somebody did come in, you know, it's got the canisters around the ship to flood the air ducts. Um, I think, yeah, whatever. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe they maybe they installed the uh, the deadly gas uh, once they knew that there was an all out war with the Klingons. I don't know. Yeah, I thought that was a little un un Starfleety. Yeah, so I didn't mention that in the synopsis that uh, that all these people are that Nog and Decker are supposed to be dying within ten minutes of of that last scene with him. Right. They sacrificed oh. themselves. Oh, yeah. And the other thing, <laughs> they're in the infirmary. Nog's laid out on the table. Klingons are trying to get in. They're, bang- they're going to be through the doors. And Nog insists upon hearing the story of something he lived through. Now, right. now mind, mind you, we needed to hear all that. That's part of the narrative. But it's like Nog forcing the retelling of it by Decker. It's like, come on. What? What? That just doesn't make any sense. Well, he wanted wanted to take his mind off of it. They only had ten more minutes to live. <sighs> I would rather spend those ten minutes uh, pumping neurocene gas to take out everybody. That that's what that's what I would be using my ten minutes. If I'm going to die anyway, I'm taking those creeps out with me. Anyway. So wasn't it amazing how to prill? Knew that it was twenty point five hours before Commander Zund would die. Yeah, I thought that was. That's why I made sure I pointed out the exact time because I uh, thought yeah. that was ridiculous. I mean, that's fine. She's Kling or she's uh, Vulcan, so she's precise. We get that, but she's not a medical person, and you have the equipment to say exactly within a half an hour of when somebody's going to die or be the exact minute. <laughs> right. I, I, I thought that was ridiculous. I agree. I I too thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so by the end of this book, I was still I still thought it was a stretch saying that Camila's death was going to trigger this war that was going to bring the Federation to its knees. But right. apparently, more goes on. I would hope so. Yeah, because I, 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 I was thinking more that her death prevented the lasting peace because you know she's so instrumental in getting this treaty signed but she can't be the only person exactly there's got to be other people with that same uh objective within starfleet still left so but so there's more going on here so um and this and i i'm sorry this doesn't fully play out even in the next issue so this is something that continues on for a while so they do have some long-running threads here, which I kind of like. Right, I do too. In the narrative, so. Right, and I think it's because they don't, they're not, there's no TV show with these characters in it that they had to kind of, oh, well, we always have to play second fiddle with these right. characters because whatever happens in the TV show is canon and we're really not. I mean, so they, they really have a lot of liberties with these people. right. Which, which is why I liked the early voyages stories too, the the Pike ones, right? Because they didn't, you know, all, all they had to do was 
not contradict that the you know the Enterprise blows up. You know that was basically their own. Oh, and Pike had to live. Right. But you know he doesn't necessarily have to look the same, right? So the whole time you're reading it, you're like, any of these people could die at any time right. because we don't ever know what happens to them. Right. And same goes with here. Nog is the only one that we know has to live. Right. Everybody which, else, who knows? Yeah, exactly. Which, which I really like. I think I think I like that part of the story. Right. And I like, like I said, I really like the story. I like to introduce. I like the Fatima story with uh, the little girl, and then it kind of being taken away from you, and you're. You know, the emotional impact that that was going to have. Um, it was done so much better than Marvel recently. Not recent, it's been five, six years. But they kind of did the same thing with uh, Spider-Man. Yeah. They uh, they introduced uh, Spider-Man, Peter Parker's, and Mary Jane's daughter from the future. So he was actually in, he was actually having conversations with his daughter from the future. And then at the end of the story arc, Aunt May dies... And then he basically makes a deal with the devil that bring Aunt May back to life. And the price was that he and Mary Jane would have never been together. They would have never gotten married. So basically he sacrificed his daughter that he had actually had a conversation with from the future so that Aunt May could still live. Which, you know, basically the same thing. Introduce you to a character now doesn't ever exist. But... That that yeah. storyline seems so selfish. Where this one, I thought was really good. Yeah, she dies. Yep. Yeah, there were a lot of good things about the first uh, issue four and issue five. A lot of good things, and also a lot of annoying things. Agreed. So it's too bad it couldn't be, couldn't have been all gold. But overall, I do like these two issues. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to get to the one that you've already stated you don't like? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Issue number six. This one is called Passages, and it is published date May 97. A lot of the same people. In fact, I think they're all the same. Well, yeah, Chris Cooper, writer, Chris Renault, penciler, inker, Andy Lanning, colors, Kevin Summers, letterer, Kim Novak, editor, Bobby Chase, and chief, Bob Harass, and I believe they are all the same. Although sometimes, they, sometimes they'll change people on the penciler, but, well, whatever. I mean, the letterer, but the cover shows Pava, Tuprell, and a new recruit getting sucked into a purple and orange-colored vortex. The issue starts with Boothby, at night, with a fistful of prize roses, beaming to another part of Earth, where they are needed. Camila Goldstein, with a lovely necklace of fresh-cut ro- white roses around her neck, is in her casket which is in the front of her funeral procession in the desert outside of Jerusalem. A large procession of people are following with her floating casket as Omega Squad, literally in dress uniforms, is guiding her to her final resting place. At her graveside, wonderful words are spoken by holy men of multiple religions. Camila's mother speaks to Pava and warns her not to attempt to get revenge for her death. She says any reprisals would dishonor the memory of Camila. Pava thinks how Camila's mother's words will make the keeping of her vow that much harder. She has sworn to kill Kovald. Decker and Nag talk about the lack of emotion Commander Zund is displaying. She is already talking about getting a replacement for Omega Squad. 
Decker mentions how he is still getting used to the bionic eye that replaced the ruined eye by the cowardly Klingon. He says it has several advantages like seeing in infrared and being able to zoom in on distant objects. In fact, he can see a crazy hoverbike rider driving like a maniac straight towards them. Sure enough, he drives into their midst and ends up in Camilla's grave practically on top of her. Pava grabs the interloper and pulls him out of the hole. She and Decker are ready to tear this guy a new orifice when Zun says she will take it from here. Pava tries to talk to Prill, but finds her nervously staring at the grave, where she sees herself in the grave, not Camilla. She says she wants to get to know T'Pril better before the unexpected won't let them. T'Pril agrees, and they walk away from Camilla's gravesite with one white rose at the bottom of the gravestone. Two weeks later, back at the Academy, Admiral Brand is leaving her post as superintendent of Starfleet Academy. The attempted Starfleet coup by Red Company and other recent issues for which she takes full responsibility means new leadership is needed. She welcomes her replacement, Admiral Pradesh, who will be the interim superintendent. The first thing Admiral Pradesh does is delete all Red Squad files and looks up all information on Omega Squad. Commander Zund introduces the newest member of Omega Squad named Edom Astron, who turns out to be the crazy hoverbike rider from the funeral. He comes out of the back of the shuttlecraft in a Starfleet uniform, and a smart comment for the squad about them missing him yet. Zund leaves them to get acquainted, and they immediately start to fight. Pava attacks and ends up on the ground, with Edom telling her that she loves Kovald and plans to kill him. Decker is up next. Edom grabs his arms, tells him he is named for his great-grandfather, who he's afraid he won't measure up to. Edom discloses he is a Betazoid, then does some kind of siren scream thingy that has Decker clutching his head. He says he has the best mind-reading scores going, but he simply can't read Ferengi. He says he was supposed to meet everyone at the funeral, but when everything went sideways with the bike, Zun decided to try again later. Today is later. He makes some brief moves onto Priel, then storms off like a spoiled child. Meanwhile, in a totally random-seeming interlude, far out into space, there are rough white outlines of two roughly humanoid-shaped beings existing among the stars. One says their full strength will be required. The other fears they are not strong enough yet. The more confident one has a Yoda moment and says, the other one will not doubt, he will do. The confident one says, once they succeed, they will change the fate of the galaxy. Later, in a Starfleet Academy lecture hall, Pava, Nog, and Decker talk about how Edom has been recruited by Starfleet to be a shapeshift detector. They can change their shapes, but not their thoughts. Edom skipped out of their class. Tapril goes to him and finds him trying to open a drug file. It's his medication that dulls his telepathic powers. 
He must use it when he is in crowds. Too many voices drive him crazy. Just as Tapril suggests that maybe he can help her with the voices in her head, a level one threat klaxon sounds. Tapril says they need to evacuate. Edom says he can read the mind of someone trapped in a lab. The trapped person's comm badge won't work, so it's up to them to rescue him. They enter the room to find in the room a gravitational vortex which is trying to suck a scientist into it. Edom says it's a mini black hole. The rest of Omega Squad arrive. Edom selflessly reaches out to the scientist and grabs his hand, only to find himself pulled in. Tapril grabs Edom's other hand. Pava has to grab Tapril, who in short order has to be grabbed by Decker. Professor Machindo arrives at the doorway, but is startled and temporarily unable to use his advanced scientific knowledge to solve the problem. Edom reads his mind and finds a solution. He tells Nog what to do, and in turn shuts down the machine that generated the mini black hole. Whew. They're all safe. Decker is not happy with Edom's grandstanding or risking all of their lives. Edom says he saved the life of the scientist, and that is what is annoying Decker. Later that night, Nog has a nightmare, where Edom is running away from a ghoulish version of Nog, who is firing a phaser at the Betazoid. Nog wakes up in his own bed. Seconds later, Starfleet security is at Nog's door, arresting him for the attempted murder of Edom Astron. To be continued. Attempted murder. Attempted murder. What a roller coaster ride, huh? Pretty crazy. Things just didn't make sense, but it didn't matter because we were on a roller coaster ride. <laughs> we get off when they tell us to. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, yeah, very fast paced, and I'm not a big fan of the new guy. No. And I'm not a big fan of the mini wormhole. How <laughs> stupid! Good God, that's stupid. Anyway. Yeah. And he was able to have the presence of mind when he's about to get sucked into a mini wormhole to read the mind of the scientist and figure out the details of basically how to turn the machine off, how to hit the off button. But it's more complex than that. Um, Good Lord. Talk about manufacturing a scenario which is custom made for somebody with mind reading abilities. Right. What could they have done without this guy around up until now? Yeah, I... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know. Anyway. So I yep. do kind of like the $6 million man eye that Decker is sporting these days. No, I think it's kind of cool. No, it's not. Oh, it's cool. Come on. Uh, no, because, I mean, yes, First Contact had already been out, so we know... Well, had First Contact been out yet? Um, I'd have to look. I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, because there's advertisements for it and stuff. So why are they not okay. wearing the new uniforms? Anyways, beside the point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so we know that they can do artificial eyeballs itself. Sure, because right? Geordi eventually gets one. Eventually gets one, but not yeah. at first. Yeah. And, you know, and Geordi's eyes don't look like natural human eyes. they very mechanical looking and blue. And well, if you look close. But, uh, you know... They, they showed close-ups of Decker's eyes, and they both looked the same. So I, yep. I think I would like it better if one eye looked different than the other one. Right. But no, they just have 
he just looks like normal guy. <laughs> yeah. And if he really does have all those advantages, um, then why was he wearing the patch in the earlier issues of the possible future? Well, where uh, I mean, he said he did it for intimidation, or yeah, Nog expected that. Yeah, right. But I would think that infrared eyeball would give you a much bigger advantage than oh, they're intimidated. Yeah, I would agree. Of course, there's nothing to say that he can't flip the eye patch up. And by the way, first contact came out in '96. Right. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I buy the new eyeball. I, I buy that it could exist, but just don't like how it's executed here. Yeah. And he got it okay. so fast. Jordy had to wait, what, years and years and years to get a new eyeball. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, okay, so they seem to be kind of into superpowers here in this series. Oh, so now, <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially in this issue. It's like we find out about the bionic eye of Deckers, and we find out about the mind-reading abilities of uh, Edom that is far beyond what uh, what Troy ever demonstrated. So well, Troy is only half, so we'll have to compare him to Luxana. Okay, well, Luxana then. Did Luxana ever display the ability to read people's minds? No. I mean, as accurately as this guy is? No, I'm Everybody's an open you. book. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and not only an open book, but... He's not just reading thoughts. He's actually like going through their brain and, and uh, picking up picking memories. Out pieces. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even things they're not necessarily even thinking about. Well, exactly, right. So, so Decker, the idea that he's trying to measure up to his, uh, his, his grandfather. Right. So, okay, um, is that something that happened to be crossing his mind as he's first interacting with Edom? I, I agree with you. He's pulling things out of memories, not just things that are in active memory right then. Right. Yeah. Which seems unlikely. Right. Yeah. So I I wouldn't, I do not like this guy at all. No. And, and, you know, the fact that he is a drug addict or potentially a drug drug addict. Yeah, they mentioned that a few times. Right. Yeah, but, yeah, but you know that end of it, that supposed addiction completely happens, has to do with that, that drug he has to take. To keep from going crazy from all the minds or the thoughts entering his mind. But that's just what he said. Who who knows what the truth? truth oh, is. I'm sure he's not lying about that. I mean, at least that's an explanation for why he went wacko at the funeral. With all those people at Camila's funeral, there would have been tons of my uh, you know minds entering or thoughts entering his mind. Um, the fact that he had to take his drug to keep his sanity. And maybe he took too much, or maybe it was affecting him too much that that's what explains his driving like a crazy man, you know? (laughs) At least that's more of an explanation than what we had at the beginning of the issue uh, during the funeral. Right. You know, so. So a little, things make a little more sense, but still. I'm not crazy about him. Don't like him. So they were burying her without a, um, a cover to the coffin? Well, they move things along very quickly. So I do agree that normally I, I have not – I agree with you that I think they normally close the coffin before they lower it down uh, into the hole. Right. As a matter of fact, don't they normally have it closed the whole time during the burial? I mean uh, – They do sometimes open it at the burial. You can have burial side 
openings. Well, I suppose so, but it, I guess especially if you didn't have a wake. Right. So a viewing of the body, which I've always found to be rather mor- uh, morbid. But anyway, so, yeah. Hey, things don't have to make sense. <laughs> you just need to get that right out on the table now, just so long as things are cool and moving along. Not much cool in this one, but it is moving along. Yeah, it does move along, right. Mini black hole, what do you think? Uh, well, I don't see how keeping the door shut was going to save the rest of the... the I completely agree. I completely agree. There's a black hole in you. Open the door. We're all doomed. It's I, a I, black hole. Yeah, and quite frankly, I don't care how many it is. If you're like a yard or two away from a mini black hole, you're going to be sucked in immediately. And so is everything around you. So <laughs> this... The idea that you could actually hold on to somebody, period, is ludicrous. You know, keeping them from going in? Anyway. Right. I, I did like, and uh, visually, I, I liked how it started to look like, you know, people were being distorted by the right. hole. Which, you know, at first I was like, oh, they're being all ripped apart and they're going to just pop out and look okay. But then I thought, yeah. I'm like, well, if a black hole really sucks in even light, then yeah. it would it would stand a reason that maybe things would start looking distorted, even though they're not being pulled apart into a little spiral. But it might Boy, you like really thought because, about this, didn't you? Because the uh, the light waves are bending and stuff, but or you really shouldn't see them at all. So it's kind of like a, a wishy-washy. <laughs> if, if there is enough gravitational effect to bend light, yeah, it, you're you, going in there right you away. Should already be, your, your fingers should be ripped off and you'd be in there. You're going to be gone. Exactly, exactly. You're going to be torn about in little pieces as... Your foot, your feet go closer to the uh, wormhole than your head. <laughs> Whatever. But then we wouldn't have the, you know, the cadet chain of people all holding on. Exactly. Being a team and showing self-sacrifice. Putting yeah. it all on the line for their fellow cadet. Right. I didn't like that part. Yeah. And if you look at that picture where they're doing the human chain... And we see the the Bolian all distorted and stuff. Looks like he's spiraling into the, the hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at Pava, how she's holding on to Decker and um, what's the Vulcan's name? I forget her Tupriel. name. Tapriel. Do you see how she's holding on to him? She's like turned backwards, yet her feet aren't. So she kind of looks like she's in a very uncomfortable situation. Yeah, <laughs> like her spine just snapped. Ouch. You yeah. see it? Yep. Okay. Not just me. It it, it looks no. weird. Right? It looks weird. Okay. Anyways. So, did you notice what I think is Voyager sitting, or Voyager class ship model sitting on uh, Admiral Pradesh's desk? Uh, no. What, Near what, the beginning of the issue. Anyway, take oh, my yeah, mind. Yeah, okay, I see it. So, so there's a little like like gray looking um, model right. of a ship on Pradesh's desk, and, and I, it looks more like Voyager than any other ship I could think of. But still, it's kind of, it's a little little rough around the edges. But I, I just called it Voyager. It, it could be Voyager. So I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. Why the artist, the penciler, chose to put probably a Voyager class ship on the desk, an Intrepid class ship, or Intrepid class. Is that Intrepid? Okay. Yeah. Intrepid, then. So, I thought that was interesting. I mean, is that supposed to actually say something? 
about the Admiral, or just that's what the penciler felt like putting on there? I don't know, because right above it, the uh, the old Admiral is cleaning off her desk, and she has a model of a, you know, Taz-era medical frigate. Oh. With yeah. the really bulbous saucer section, one sure. that like a ball. Right. So I don't know, maybe he was trying to show that she's old, and she has an old class ship, and he's new, and he has a... A more modern ship? Well, new, newer anyway. The guy right. looks like he's at least in his 40s. And he looks like a Klingon. I keep waiting for that. that <laughs> he's a Klingon, damn You can't it. have dark hair and a goatee and not make me think that you're a Klingon, especially when you're doing devious things. Exactly. He does look like a Klingon. You're right about that. Right. He's Or he's, or he's human and he's like an Indian or something. Uh, Pradesh? Is that East Indian, maybe? Right. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah, like I said, I'm just, like I said, I, I'm, I'm a little, because of the original Taz, I can't see anybody with darker skin and a goatee and not automatically say, oh, he's a Klingon. <laughs> he's one of those human-looking Klingons that we don't talk about. Exactly, right. Because we're into the uh, prosthetic, uh, bumpy head ones. Right. So, again, another plot point that's just starting up that could go somewhere. Yeah, this Pradesh guy looks like he is perhaps um, somehow linked to Red Squad or the people that were behind Red Squad. Right. I mean, if you're a normal good guy, you're probably not going to erase all records of Red Squad and then begin a research project on Omega Squad. Right. Yeah, so that storyline is going to be interesting, I think. Yes. Right. And the storyline I'm a little concerned about is the Electro-looking aliens. Yeah, just yeah, floating them. in space, having a chit chat. Right. So obviously, that is completely out of left field. Um, <sighs> whatever these aliens are, are probably incorporeal and quite powerful. Right. Interesting how they chose to make them look humanoid. You know, with the roughly humanoid outline. But okay, whatever. Um, it, it, it insinuates something big is coming. Something really big. Right. Something really big that we should know about since this took place in the past, but whatever. Well, past for us, but present yeah. for when it was coming up. Yeah, well. So, uh, just to kind of put it in perspective, um, there will be three more issues of Starfleet Academy before there is a big crossover event that's uh, <gasps> called the... Crossover? To what? It's With the whom? Telepathy War, which will cross over Starfleet Academy, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, the Star Trek Unlimited, and uh, Telepathy War Special Number One. So, I'm wondering if this is setting up that Telepathy so. War, Telepathy War, Telepathy War. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Telepathy War, not telepathy. Okay, so that that's not a that's that's like a special story arc. It's a special story arc that crosses over all the Marvel titles that were going on at the time. Set in that set in this timeline. <clears throat> Are there telepathic characters in some of these other fran- uh, franchise comicized things? Um, well, aside from Troy, no. Okay, interesting. So I, I'm just wondering if because they show up right after he does his big mind blast, right? Right. And I'm wondering if the the two are going to be connected. Hmm. At his big mental 
blast that knocks out Omega Squad somehow arouse these guys. Yeah, what is that about? So maybe he wasn't screaming. Maybe he was just... So you called it a mental blast? Maybe. Uh, that's what I thought, yeah. Amazing. That's just... I don't know. It's weird. Obviously, this guy's pretty powerful. Right. Almost too powerful. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that wig you out if you knew that somebody who you're working with can read your every thought? Yeah, of course. I'm not so cra- I'm not so crazy. I'd want to be hanging out with that coworker. Not only read your thought, but use it against you because he's a every- jerk. Yeah, and read your memories. Yeah. Even things you weren't necessarily thinking about at the time. Exactly. I, I don't blame Nog for trying to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so that, that's uh, actually... I'm curious to see where they go with that. Right. Yeah. So it, I, it was definitely a turn I wasn't expecting. And when you think about that, if there are any shapeshifters around that got wind of this guy... That's the most likely people to be trying to kill him. Um, interesting how it got somehow pinned on Nog, though. And, of course, Nog would be the logical one because Nog is the only person that could have a plot to kill Edom without him knowing it. Right. But still. So, and he obviously did. I mean, he has some kind of memories on it. So he must right. have done. He must have actually done something. Or somehow. Somehow that was implanted into his dreams, but how would that happen? By a third party. By somebody who uses telepathy. Well, was it actually Edom who, during the attack, tried to reach out to Nog? Now, why would he try to reach out to Nog, the one guy that you can't read? Right. I don't get it. Doesn't make sense. No. Anyway, who knows? I think we're thinking on it too hard. Let's just... I think we are. Let's just wait it out and see what happens. Exactly. Let's wrap this up and just uh, see what happens. All right. Um, I don't have any other comments on this issue. Me neither. It's my least favorite. Did I mention that? You did. I think you said that right at the beginning. There you go. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, next week we'll be back um, with Deep Space Nine, seven through nine. Okay. That sounds great. Isn't it, though? That's right. Get back to the station, preferably not all blown up and with Kira not blown to bits. Yeah, we never even talked about that. They threw her up in the air and shot her in the air like a like, like a, a rag clay doll. pigeon. Like a clay pigeon, yes. That's pretty now now that's what I'm talking about, having an edge to it. Right. So that's the kind of kind of like uh in your face, uh rough around the edges, like shocking things. Uh that I, I kind of like. Right. But then they... Especially in, a beloved character like that. They throw in parts that I didn't care for. So, it, it was like I said, it was a mixed bag. Yeah. It's a mixed bag. Cool. Okay. Well, that's it for me. All right. Then I guess we'll be back uh, next week. Excellent. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review... Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. 
visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com, subscribe to us via iTunes, or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.